Welcome, beautiful world, to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BMP. Thank you, as always, for joining. And we are going to get right into this podcast. I started a series uh, many months ago, right at the beginning of the whole uh, current events, which shall not be named. This whole episode is... uh, I'm studiously and fastidiously avoiding current events this entire episode. But I started a series called Conquering the Pandemic of Fear. And um, it was going to be a three-part series... Um, I put out part one and then part 1.5, which was Rose Gold. You can check that one out in the archives. Uh, Rose Gold from Heartbreak Hill podcast. And then part two was Josie Grouse. Um, And I realized that I had not yet put out part three. So today's episode is going to be part three of Conquering the Pandemic of Fear. And we're going to start things off by a quote, with a quote, by the Tao Te Ching. And the theme of this podcast is... The cosmos, cosmic vastness, cosmic smallness, cosmic oneness, the nature of existence itself, and just the sheer elegance and beauty of the great mystery. I'm just going to be turning to a, intuitively turning to a passage from the Tao Te Ching today. Um, another theme of this episode is going to be unscripted, authentic, genuine, which includes tripping over words and sounding dumb. Because I think um, we all have to be willing to sound dumb and take risks and, you know, just not have everything be filtered and, you know, perfect lighting and edited just right. There's certainly a place for that. And I appreciate the hell out of a well-produced podcast or anything else. But, um, but this episode is something different and... Um, So I'm just going to intuitively turn to a passage. The one that the universe guided us to today is verse 48. All is done without doing. To obtain a diploma requires the storage of trivia. To obtain the great integrity requires their abandonment. The more we are released from vested fragments of knowledge, the less we are compelled to take vested actions until all is done without doing. When the ego interferes in the rhythms of process, there is so much doing, but nothing is done. And I'm called to read the one immediately following that, verse 49, Wisdom. Wise people are not absorbed in their own needs. 
They take the needs of all people as their own. They are good to the good, but they are also good to those who are still absorbed in their own needs. Why? Because goodness is in the very nature of the great integrity. Wise people trust. Wise people trust those who trust, but they also trust those who do not trust. Why? Because trusting is in the very nature of the great integrity. Wise people merge with all others rather than stand apart judgmentally. In this way, all begin to open their ears and hearts, more prepared to return to the innocence of childhood. So there you have it, two verses from Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching. This one is a new translation and commentary by Ralph Allen Dale. And uh, this is the, the one I always use when I read from. So it means a lot to me, this particular copy. And I actually use it as the base for my mouse pads uh, when, I, when I record. So um, one way or another, Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching are, are always kind of woven into the fabric of this, this podcast. But anyways, look at me waxing poetic. Um, let's go ahead and get into this podcast about the vastness of the cosmos the elegance of spirit and experience and the mystery of knowledge and unknowing and unknowing. Baby, I'm yours yours. And I'll be yours Yours until the stars fall from the Conan Tanner here. It is Saturday afternoon. It's 426 degrees Fahrenheit outside and only about 312 degrees Fahrenheit in my apartment. So uh, the peak of comfort here and also putting out 
some of that sweet, sweet content for you all. And this time, I wanted to do dedicate an entire episode just to feeling good and speaking truth and looking at things from the biggest possible picture, the cosmic picture. So there's going to be more music than usual this episode, and I'm not going to be even touching with a 10-foot pole anything even remotely resembling current events. <laughs> and so this is for, uh, honestly, this is for me as much as anything else. Um, I'm a human, just like everyone, and the events uh, of, of you know, the last few months have been piling on um, one after the other, and... Today I had a day off and I guess it all just kind of tumbled down like a landslide and hit me. And um, I had, you know, I have obviously there's more episodes down the pike and, and I'm going to continue with the Cuba series and I have a bunch of other uh, really good interviews on the way. <clears throat> but um, today I just felt like compelled to just be real with you guys, um, my listeners, anyone who listens to this down the rabbit hole of time and um, just take like a little capsule of this moment here 2 p.m. Saturday August 1st in Phoenix Arizona and uh, so yeah um, so I'm I'm not gonna script anything at all for this episode so uh, that's just a decision that I made Um, I want this to be like real to the bone um and like I said I just I want to kind of lead us all myself included on a journey just to feeling good and to gaining that bigger perspective uh, that is so important during tumultuous times and always I keep in mind the idea of Sisu the Finnish idea of Sisu which welcomes challenges welcomes obstacles with a cheerful heart and uh, sometimes that means welcoming your own depression with the certain kind of cheerfulness of like all right well this will be this will be a real journey (laughs) and just having that faith that you will find your way out of it out of the labyrinth of you know despair and and hopelessness and um, come into infinite fields of wildflowers and pure consciousness and the deep, deep inner knowing that on a foundational, fundamental level, the most possible fundamental level, that everything is not just okay, but amazing. And life, whatever life is, is not just surviving, but thriving. And I really believe that in my heart, even even when I superficially don't necessarily feel it. There's a deeper knowing even beneath that that I tap into because we all need help, um, you know, just getting through the ups and downs of life. And uh, so, yeah, I don't want to get too maudlin. Um, Let's go ahead and get into this episode. So this is just going to be all unscripted, real from the heart, um, and peppering in more musical interludes and uh, just a journey to feeling some kind of way about existence, life, the universe, reality, 
and the here and now. All right, I'll talk to you guys. Peace. February 14th of 1990, the Voyager 1 spacecraft was departing our planetary neighborhood for the fringes of the solar system. Voyager 1 was about 6.4 billion kilometers or 4 billion miles away and approximately 32 degrees above the ecliptic plane when it captured this portrait of our world. Caught in the center of scattered light rays, a result of taking the picture so close to the sun, Earth appears as a tiny point of light, a crescent only 0.12 pixel in size. It was actually the great Carl Sagan's idea for the Voyager 1 to take this shot right before it left our planetary neighborhood, and Sagan references this picture in his book Pale Blue Dot. And I'm going to read an excerpt from that book. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, Every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that, in glory and triumph, they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely, scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, 
the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Carl Sagan 1994. So a little bit about the Voyager spacecraft that Carl Sagan referenced in that piece. There were actually two Voyager spacecrafts. Voyager 1 is the first spacecraft to reach interstellar space. It originally was launched in 1977 to explore the outer planets in our solar system. However, it has remained operational long past expectations and continues to send information about its journeys back to Earth. Voyager 1 officially entered interstellar space in August 2012, almost 35 years after its voyage began. The discovery wasn't even made until 2013, when scientists had time to review the data sent back from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was actually the second of the twin spacecraft to launch, but it was the first to race by Jupiter and Saturn. The images it sent back have been used in school books and newspaper outlets for a generation. 
Also on board was a special record carrying voices and music from Earth out into the cosmos. Voyager 2 launched on August 20, 1977, and Voyager 1 launched about two weeks later. Kind of curious how they sent two off before one, but you know, whatever. Who am I to question the, uh, the great people out at NASA? Um, since then, the spacecraft have been traveling along different flight paths and at different speeds. The Voyager missions were intended to take advantage of a special alignment of the outer planets that happens every 176 years. It would allow a spacecraft to slingshot from one planet to the next, assisted by the first planet's gravity. That's amazing. So this only happened once, once every 176 years that this specific alignment was set up in the cosmos that allows them to, the voyagers, to slingshot from one planet to the next. That's really cool. Uh, the spacecraft's next big encounter will take place in 40,000 years when Voyager 1 comes within 1.7 light years of the star AC 793888. The star itself is roughly 17.5 light years from Earth. However, Voyager 1's falling, failing power supply means it will stop transmitting data by about 2025, meaning no data will flow back from that distant location pretty amazing. Think about what reality is going to be like in 40,000 years. 40,000 years. <laughs> the Aboriginal Australians were living in Australia for, they've, they've lived continuously for 70,000 years. I mean, holy shit. You talk about like, you know, BC or whatever. That's only 2,000 years ago. You think that all the everything that's happened in 2,000 years and just how everything seems to be accelerating. The question is, uh, will it continue to accelerate just indefinitely or will we reach some sort of asymptotic point at which uh, we return to, I'm trying to put this in a pleasant way, but return to a more natural state of being, <laughs> more akin to hunting and gathering perhaps. I don't know. I, I don't think that uh, the universe is ever going to be rid of us humans, I'll tell you that. Obviously, if we get taken out by an asteroid or something, but even then, I just, I feel like cockroaches, rats, and humans, man, we're, we're going to be, there, there's just going to be a few of us that manage to hang on no matter what happens, and then we're just going to do what we do, go forth and multiply. Um, finishing up the info about the Voyagers here. NASA originally planned to send two spacecraft past Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto, and two other probes past Jupiter, Uranus, and Neptune. Budgetary reasons forced the agency to scale back its plans. Yes, budgetary reasons, because we needed more thousands and thousands of tanks. More tanks. More tanks, less, less spacecraft. So, that's budgetary reasons. And... You know, it's not like our money is an imaginary decimal on a computer screen somewhere in Steve Mnuchin's goat slaughtering hovel. But um, I digress. Uh, Voyager 2 flew past Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, while Voyager 1 focused on Jupiter and Saturn. Recognizing that the Voyagers would fly out of the solar system, NASA authorized the production of two records to be placed on board the spacecraft. Sounds ranging from whale calls to the music of Chuck Berry were placed on boards, as well as spoken greetings in 55 languages. 
The 12-inch gold-plated copper discs also included pictorials showing how to operate it and the position of the sun among nearby pulsars in case extraterrestrials were wondering where the spacecraft came from. Whale calls and the music of Chuck Berry. <laughs> I love it. What better representation of Earth could there be? Jumping little record, I want my jockey to play. 
stay true to my commitment at the beginning of the episode and not script any of this so I might be tripping over my words a little bit here but I'm going to do the best I can and this is all in the name of trying just to be my real authentic self uh, with you right now for this episode. So something that I like to think about that I like to contemplate when I'm feeling utterly overwhelmed with life whether it's the aforementioned current events that shall not be spoken of or you know inner psychological situations, um, you know, like just intense fatigue, physical and spiritual fatigue, uh, just, you know, like I have 80,000 things I need to do and I don't even know where to start. When any of these types of emotions starts to really take over, generate its own momentum and run away from me, I like to intentionally pause, just hit the pause button on whatever I'm doing. If I can, I like to lie down, close my eyes and then contemplate the sheer scale and magnitude of this universe that we find ourselves in. And my mentality about it is, is a little different from the kind of cliche idea of like, we are just a, a grain of sand, you know, in the infinite, which is true, um, but I don't think that really says anything about anything in and of itself, because as Einstein and others have showed us, time and space are relative. but. In rather just how the vastness of things, the, the, the essentially incomprehensible vastness. I'm, I'm going to try to break down some imagery here for you guys to help, help us visualize just the vastness of the universe, but essentially it's incomprehensible. And within that incomprehensi- incomprehensibility, is that a word, is incomprehensible mystery and potential and possibility unknown potentialities there is so so much going on that we are at least consciously utterly unaware of and perhaps even like dimensionally unaware and this kind of brings me peace and gives me hope because it reminds me that you know as wild or intense as i guess as serious as things seem sometimes in the grand picture, in the big picture, it is like whatever we're experiencing, even if it's an entire life of shit, <laughs> it is still just like the, the most infinitesimal little sliver of time and space and experience. And I do have faith, I believe, in, in the eternal soul. And so I take some comfort in this idea that my soul is on what is essentially seems to be an infinite journey along a mysterious uh, set of realms and this is but one sort of emanation manifestation of that mystery and that gives me some peace um, for whatever reason so I'm going to try to break down the scale of the universe for you all and something that I think is important right off the bat that gets missed a lot is that we're so like not only are we ethnocentric and human-centric Anthropo- anthropocentric 
We also, like, size-wise and scale-wise, we're very self-centered. So we, we tend to think of everything as, like, how the universe is so much bigger than us, or conversely, the universe is so much smaller than us. But what, at least for myself, I don't feel like I've heard really tackled that much is the enormity then of the scale between the biggest possible thing that we know of, which I'm going to play a clip for you guys um, about like the, the supercluster, Lana Kea supercluster galaxy, and, and then even just like the just an, an absurd amount of galaxies beyond that. And then even how all of what we know with the trillions of, of s- s- galaxies that we know of, even that is only like less than one, 0.1% of, of like the, the unknown universe. Because we can only, because the universe is expanding, it's accelerating, it's, yeah, it's accelerating as it expands. Therefore, the light at the outer reaches is running away from us faster than we could ever perceive it. And if somehow we were, if we could somehow perceive this light, we would have to be able to see or travel six times faster than the speed of light. And then by the time we saw the thing, it wouldn't even exist anymore. And I'm talking about what we would consider the unknown, the the unseen uh, universe. But what I don't hear often discussed is like, okay, so that that scale of massiveness, but then going all the way down through all the different, uh, you know, dimension scales of being to us, but then how small the tiniest thing is. And, and that's like a real trip for me. So um, really quick, just like, so our, ne- our nearest cosmic neighbor is the moon. And it takes uh, 1.25 seconds for information, for light to travel um, one way. So about 2.5 seconds for a round trip uh, like, you know, communication or something like that from the moon to Earth uh, or Houston, I'll say. So just to give an idea of how far away even just the next closest celestial neighbor is, which would be the planet Mars, Mars is 938 times farther away than the moon. So if we were to ever put a human being on Mars, instant communication would be literally impossible because it takes 20 minutes, 20 minutes of light speed to get from Earth to Mars one way. So if there was an astronaut on Mars and Houston was trying to communicate with that astronaut, it would take 40 minutes for to, to get a message out and then get the message back. So by the time Houston got the message back, it, that w- news would already be 40 minutes old. So if there was ever some real, in, in, you know, extremely pressing sort of emergency, um, that would that would have to account for that 40 minute lag time i just thought that was like an interesting and that's you know people talk about like oh yeah it's only a matter of time before we settle mars but it's like "Mm, really i don't know i'm i'm doubtful about that um i think that if we were a little more kind of evolved collectively and we were using our resources better our finite resources in a more sustainable manner then i would have more faith that maybe eventually we would manage to set up some sort of colony on Mars, but the sheer technological feat of getting to Mars, much less trying to set up some sort of colony there, um, in light of how just dysfunctional kind of we are. I said I wasn't going to talk about current events. All right, I'm not talking about this. Anyways, Mars is a lot farther away. (laughs) Mars is 938 times farther away from the moon, and that's only the next little planet. Doesn't even take into account... The, the Milky Way galaxy. 
Um, it would take that the Voyager satellite that I was talking about earlier, it would take the Voyager 30,000 years just to leave our solar system alone. What's up, all you benevolent bonobos? We're going to get right back into this podcast, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the Barbarian Noetics podcast has been generously supported by Eartha May Kitt, born January 17, 1927, and passing on December 25, 2008. Eartha Kitt was an American singer, songwriter, and dancer noted for her sultry vocal style and slinky beauty, who also achieved success as a dramatic stage and film actress. Kitt was the daughter of a white father and a black mother, and from the age of eight she grew up with relatives in an ethnically diverse section of Harlem, New York City. At 16, she joined Catherine Dunham's dance troupe and toured the United States, Mexico, South America, and Europe. When the Dunham Company returned to the United States, the multilingual kit stayed in Paris, where she won immediate popularity as a nightclub singer. She made her acting debut as Helen of Troy in Time Runs, an Orson Welles adaptation of Faust in 1950. With her appearance in the Broadway review Leonard Silman's New Faces of 1952, and with early 1950s recordings such as C'est Si Bon, Santa Baby, and I Want to Be Evil, Kit became a star. Always outspoken, Eartha Kit was able to channel her celebrity into activism. In May of 1967, she testified before Congress, along with Washington, D.C. youth group Rebels with a Cause, on behalf of President Lyndon B. Johnson's juvenile delinquency bill. Lady Bird Johnson subsequently invited Kit to her Women Doers Luncheon on January 18, 1968, for a discussion of what women could do to help eradicate crime on the streets. I'm really interested to hear what Lady Bird Johnson has to say about that. Toward the end of the luncheon, Lady Bird asked the room of 50 women from groups such as the Association of Colored Women's Club and the League of Women Voters, including a few governor's wives, for their comments. Kit raised her hand and told the First Lady of the United States exactly what she thought. Juvenile crime was in part a pushback against being drafted to serve in the Vietnam War. Quote, Boys I know across the nation feel it doesn't pay to be a good guy, Kit said. They figure with a record they don't have to go off to Vietnam. You send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. They rebel in the street. They will take pot and they will get high. 
they don't want to go to school because they're going to be snatched off from their mothers to be shot in Vietnam. Kit continued, Mrs. Johnson, you are a mother too, although you have had daughters and not sons. I am a mother and I know the feeling of having a baby come out of my guts. I have a baby and then you send him off to war? No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. And Mrs. Johnson, in case you don't understand the lingo, that's marijuana. Her comments stunned the first lady. Some media reports erroneously stated that Lady Bird burst into tears. <laughs> Women in the room ran to the microphone to defend the Johnsons and level outrage at Kit. It's probably the first time Lady Bird Johnson gave her a dose of truth. Drop some truth on that lady. <laughs> the cultural and political backlash was swift. The Washington Post reported at the time that President Johnson had Kit blacklisted. According to Broadly, Kit alleged that the White House, which had sent a car for her, didn't arrange a car for her departure and she had to catch a cab. Unable to get jobs in the United States, Kit was forced to perform in Europe until she returned to America in 1978 to headline the Broadway musical Timbuktu. It was later unveiled by the New York Times that the CIA, prompted by the Secret Service in 1968, had kept a dossier on her. It was really heartbreaking to her and very upsetting that her own government turned on her for something as simple as just giving an honest response to her question, said Kit Shapiro, Eartha Kitt's daughter. And that was really something, I think, that she never really let go of that, that disappointment. So we're going to take this segment home with two clips. Uh, the first, a clip of Eartha, Eartha Kitt answering a question about whether she would ever couple up again in life, in a relationship, and her response. And then I'm going to play a track of hers, more of a deep cut, Avril a Portugal. Probably fucked up that pronouncement, but it means spring, uh, April in Portugal. So thanks again for Eartha Kitt for sponsoring this episode of the Barbarian Noetics podcast. And thank you for making Lady Bird Johnson cry. <laughs> we'll get back to the pod in a second. Peace. Can anyone live with Eartha Kitt? That's not for me to decide. Not for someone who decides to live with me to decide. Not for me. But are you willing to compromise within a relationship? To compromise? What is compromising? Compromising for what? Compromising for what reason? To compromise for what? To compromise. What is compromise? If a man came into your life, wouldn't you want to compromise? <laughs> a man comes into my life and I have to compromise? You must think about that one again. <laughs> a man comes into my life and you have to compromise? For what? For what? 
relationship is a relationship that has to be earned, not to compromise for. And I love relationships. I think they're fantastic. They're wonderful. I think they're great. I think there's nothing in the world more beautiful than falling in love. But falling in love for the right reason, falling in love for the right purpose, falling in love, falling in love. When you fall in love, what is there to compromise about? Isn't love a union between two people, or does Eartha fall in love with herself? I think if you were to think about it in terms of analyzing, yes, I fall in love with myself, and I want someone to share it with me. I want someone to share me, with me. de fleurs, des chants de battleurs, Marie, tout ça verse mon cœur d'un rêve de bonheur dont les ragatailleurs me suivent. L'amour devait savoir en nous suivant le soir. Que j'aimerais un jour la revoir. Avril au Portugal, à deux c'est idéal. Là-bas, si lent et fou, le ciel est mais sans penser à mal, sans que attendra-t-il que j'aille au Portugal en Portugal, I never 
sheer technological feat of getting to Mars, much less trying to set up some sort of colony there, um, in light of how just dysfunctional kind of we are. I said I wasn't going to talk about current events. All right, I'm not talking about this. Anyways, Mars is a lot farther away. <laughs> Mars is 938 times farther away from the moon, and that's only the next little planet. doesn't even take into account the, the Milky Way galaxy. Um, it would take that the Voyager satellite that I was talking about earlier, it would take the Voyager 30,000 years just to leave our solar system alone. So I'm going to play this clip now about the massiveness of the universe. Then, so what's so crazy is that the, what is known of the like size of things, the, the known universe is even smaller than it is large, meaning we know of things, we've, we've been able to observe <clears throat> things so tiny that it is a vaster sort of scale even than what is known of like the bigger universe. I feel like I'm doing a really crappy job <laughs> describing this, but I, I told you guys I was, uh, was going to do this unscripted, so hopefully you know what I'm kind of saying here. Um, and then I really like this visualization of the smallness of things. So. If you wanted to get a visualization of all the atoms in a grapefruit, think of, the, think of one grapefruit as the entire Earth. And think of one atom as the size of one blueberry. And then think how many blueberries it would take to fit, to to fit inside the entire Earth. And that's how many atoms are in a single grapefruit. The smallest theorized length, which is called a Planck length, is so small that if an atom, so so remember uh, the grapefruit was earth and then the atom was a blueberry. Now imagine that the blueberry, the atom itself is earth, all right? Then a Planck length, which is the smallest theorized length, would be much smaller than even the head of a pen. Er, sorry, <laughs> fuck that up. The head of a pin. Um, Planck length would be even smaller than the head of a pin in regard in relation to the size of the entire Earth, and you can—that's my meowser—and you can tell she's really upset about that uh, analogy. She thinks that uh, she 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 took issue with the the use of grapefruit. Uh, she's a navel orange cat, and um, also she's just like been stuck inside all day with me, and we're like sweating balls because I got the front AC off for you guys because I love y'all, but I'm literally just like pouring sweat now. And um, yeah, she's she's a she's been happier. I'll put it that way. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this recording. I'm gonna give my cat some love, and then I'm gonna put this episode together for you guys. And I I really hope that that made some kind of sense. <laughs> I guess I'll see when I listen back to it. But I'm not gonna touch it because I'm doing this off the cuff. I'm committed to it. All right. Uh, much love, everyone. I really appreciate you guys. Um, as always, there's many, many ways that you can support the podcast. The, the most important way, obviously, is just by listening. So thank you for listening and supporting the show. Please spread the word and tell a friend about the BMP. Um, it's really making a difference. Uh, the, uh, my audience is starting to grow, which is really exciting. Our little tribe of barbarians is growing. Um, and then, uh, as always, if you are called to support the show financially, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month at Patreon www.patreon.com slash noetics and you become part of the inner circle of barbarians you get bonus content uh, like weird audio tidbits and poems 
you can ask specifically for certain content to be covered. Um, you have like a you have a spot at the table when you're a Patreon supporter. And what's even better is you can cancel it literally anytime. So it's not like some sort of contract, um, you know. Anyways, uh, I love you guys. I guess that's all I want to say. And I appreciate every one of you. Be well. Uh, know that in the grand scheme of things, you are a brilliant little shining light. And I personally believe that your, your souls are each eternal. And I see the beauty in everyone and the divinity in you, your divine spark in your heart. And um, not to get too corny, but I guess I'm feeling a bit sentimental this episode. So um, until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves. Be good to each other. Much love. Peace. And from my cat. Meow.
I know 